Oh, so then you were in Super Bowl 49 against the yeah. Pats, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, ready? I'm ready. We're ready. Oh my God! Please start. Please start with that. Please start with that. He's holding the Lombardi trophy. Okay, I love it. Please start. I'm gonna bring you in after about a minute. Please just be holding it. Oh, that's so freaking great. All right, you ready? Here you go. Three, two. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Proper Creative. They help me with our brand content and, of course, making our swag. They're the ones that ship it out to us. That's Proper Creative, and they work with any type of business, whether you're a big corporation or a small business or even running it out of your house. They will work with you, and they will help you and relieve a ton of liability and work from your shoulders. That's Proper Creative. You can follow them on Instagram, P-R-O-P-R, or you can go to their website at P-R-O-P-R. R-O-P-R-L-L-C.com. Let Proper Creative help you build your brand and sell direct to consumer, regardless of the size of your business. Proper Creative is definitely a good choice. Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I am your host, Matt Rogers. With me, as always, my man Eli Adelman. Yes, sir. On the sticks, making us sound and look good. Engineer, you're the man. Thanks, man. You excited? I'm very excited for today. I, we always say yeah, excited. Yeah, I know. We have so many great guests, but this is a good one. Our guests are the bomb, and we have a champion today at the highest level. My good friend, Golden Pat Rule. He is a coach in the NFL and college for over 35 years. So if if you're a player, if you are a leader, if you have a pulse you're going to want to listen to today because you have one of the greatest leaders and motivators on the planet, Super Bowl champion, back-to-back Super Bowl appearances on this show that is going to give us everything on leadership, motivation, and everything. Let's bring him in. My good friend, Golden Pat Rule. Look at him. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. <laughs> and you're really holding the Lombardi trophy. Yeah, yeah. From Super Bowl 48. Credibility. <laughs> Look at you. You smashed the Broncos. Peyton Manning couldn't do nothing against your defense. Oh, man. I'm going to put it down now. <laughs> what was this? The score was 43 to 8. Yeah. Like, I remember watching that Super Bowl. Obviously, we're friends. So I was a fan and I was rooting for the Seahawks. But, dude, I have never seen a complete de- domination like that. It was absolutely so. Hey, welcome to you Level what, Up, you know Coach. You know what's amazing about that game? Some guy in Las Vegas put a $100 bet that the, that the Seahawks would score first with a safety. Are you serious? <laughs> and, and, he won like, and he won like a million dollars. Oh, man. <laughs> and that man is you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish. <laughs> so this is Coach Golden Pat Rule. I met Coach in 2005. I was an offensive line coach for Mission Viejo High School, the Diablos, and it was at a summer camp. I wanted to be a better coach. And Coach Rule, you were with the USC Trojans, Reggie Bush, Lendell White, Matt Leinart. We know the just the legacy that you guys placed. Uh, arguably the greatest years in USC football history. You were there. I got an opportunity to come and be mentored by you at a summer camp, and we became friends, right? Yes, we did. We became good friends. Yep. You are the man. Thanks for uh, having me on. So, Well, let me say this. Before we get started, mm-hmm. I recognize you had some talent. 
you're a good communicator and you love coaching football. And I, I had a vision that I, I was going to make you into a, uh, one of the greatest line coaches ever. <laughs> and then you turned around and you left me. <laughs> Why didn't I oh, you, missed, you missed out. <laughs> Why didn't I freaking know this? This is the first time you've ever told me this. Are you being honest? Is it too late? Yeah. Listen, you had good communication skills. The kids loved you. And I said, this guy's going to be a great coach. And then you said, hey, coach, uh, I got this little thing gig with American Idol. for uh, Maybe we need to slow down on the coaching part for a minute so I can do this. And the rest is history. I mean. Dude, that's so encouraging and, and disappointing at the same time. Because, like, can you imagine? Like, okay, think about this. If you would have taken me under your wings, this was 05. I would have won national championships with you. I would have won Super Bowls with you. And I would probably have long, gorgeous hair like you, too. <laughs> the first two, possible. Not the, <laughs> not the last one. <laughs> so so tell me about, like, I want to start with, with you. I've had the opportunity to meet your family, your brother. When you guys played the Atlanta Falcons after I'd moved to Tennessee, uh, it was a playoff game. You got me tickets. I sat with your family. Like, you you got a tight-knit group. Like, you and your brother are close, and you are, like, you know, the golden boy in your family in every sense of the word. Your your name, your real name is Golden, right? Yes, yes. Where did that come from? Well, uh, this is an unbelievable story. My, I mean, first of all, my grandfather was Golden Rule. I'm my dad was golden rule and then I became golden rule the third. And I just thought it was a family name or whatever. I, I never really asked much about it. And this is an unbelievable story. I'm at green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay. So my, my family came over from Ireland and they settled in great and in Wisconsin. Okay. And, and so this Brett Favre and the offensive lineman are all saying to me, uh, Hey coach, there's some woman over there. She is hot and she's beautiful. And you got to take it. And I, I knew right then, you know what? I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Do you guys just worry about, you know, coach, let's worry about the football practice right now. Uh-huh. Brett comes over and says, coach, you got you to give me your name. I'm sitting there going, what the heck? I turn around and there's about an 85 year old woman with a, with my name on a sign and she's got, silver blue hair <laughs> she's she's holding up my name and so i went up to her after practice and i said hey what's up she says i'm your third cousin here's your family tree she hands me my family tree and she says your your great grandparents came over uh john rule came over with mary golden they were dating okay they got married and they named their first child Golden Rule, which would be my grandfather. Yeah. So she's filling me in. I had no idea how I got that name until I was 50 years old, uh, coaching for the Green Bay Packers. That was in 2001, 2002 as well. Yeah. So, I mean, this yeah. is before, you know, 23 and me and, you know, oh, yeah, swab exactly. That. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, did you end up keeping in contact with her after that? Oh, yeah. Margaret Vyshevsky. Wow. Yeah. She she told me I, she was a third cousin. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> you know, all the guys said 
She just wants tickets, coach. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Everyone just wants tickets. So, I mean, I have so many questions today on leadership of you. I mean, you have coached and you have succeeded at the highest level in college football and, of course, in pro football. You won Super Bowls with uh, the Seattle Seahawks and back-to-back Super Bowl appearances. I guess I want to start with, I mean, let's just go with coaching. When did you know that your destiny, your calling was to be a coach? Well, uh, I just got finished playing at the University of Miami, and I had, uh, you know, I have a book coming out, which is going to be kind of cool. It's going to be kind of mapping my story. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I was at the University of Miami, I had a really uh, difficult time with the coaching there. It was very, back in the 60s and 70s, coaches uh, were, were pretty physical and, and verbally abusive some. Really? Uh, wasn't and, Fran, and, and, Fran Kirky, right? Or Kirchie? Yeah, Fran Kirchie, yeah. They were trying to make us tough, you know? They wanted to make us tough. And so that we had, uh, you know, we had all these drills that we did that were very combative. They weren't even football-related. It was about making guys tough. And yeah, give, me an, like, give me an, give me uh, an example. Give me an example. Okay. Uh, we would go into a, what we called the, I called it the panic room, but it's actually, it's the insanity room. But anyway, I would go in, we, we, we would go in this room. We get on our knees and there'd be a towel that was taped at either end. And we put our hands on the towel. Yeah. I'd have one inside, one outside. He, my opponent would have one inside, one outside. And the idea was to get the towel away from your opponent Had nothing to do with football. It was just a physical match of will. Okay. And it got to the point where you could use any kind of, whatever you had to do to get the towel away. So guys were elbowing, trying to elbow guys were headbutting. Uh, a guy even bit a guy one time. And, oh and gosh. it was just, it was just, it was very, uh, primitive. Uh, you know, it was, it was wrong. It was a poor, it was a poor example of, you know, coaches trying to make players tough because most guys are there. They're already pretty tough. They they didn't need to do that. Anyway, the point is when I got finished with that, I said, I don't want anything to do with football. I don't want anything to do with coaching. I I had, you know, I was working on my degree in psychology. And so I moved on. And then Pete Elliott, who uh, came down there and became the head coach, he told me, uh, Pat, I want you to read the Dale Carnegie uh, book. Which which one? How to win friends and influence people? That's it. The very original one. And I, I was like, why? He goes, well, you are already an example of that book. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you just have a good way about you. You're you're very positive. And he said, and and, and just because of that, I want you to read that book, and then I want you to be on my staff. And I said, you're hiring me to be on your staff. And he goes, wow. yeah. And so he hired me to be a graduate assistant. And I was at for about a year and a half. And then uh, he moved up to the AD spot, hired Carl Seller. He made me offensive line coach. I was the youngest offensive line coach in the country at that time, Division One. And I, basically what motivated me to be a coach was I knew I could do it better than the previous coaches I had had. And I knew That's awesome. I knew I – yeah. And, and uh, you know, there's uh, – there's a couple of things that kind of get you going as a coach. And one is, is to, you know, have a common goal. And then all of a sudden you make it come true. And in 1970, uh, 
let's see, 76, we had beaten, or maybe it's 73. I'm trying to remember now, it's way back, but we beat the University of Texas. They were number one. That was my first game as a coach. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah so you're, beat- you're coaching for Miami, right? Yeah. So you're coaching for Miami. You take on Texas, the number yeah, one. Yeah, number one at the time, yeah. And you took them down. What was the score? Uh, 20 to 13. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then crazy. So was that like, I mean, by that time you're like, dude, this is, this is it for me. I'm going to like, did you want to be one of the best coaches? I don't know if you understand, but just that the exhilaration of a group of men coming together with a common bond to take on a task that no one thinks you can do. Nobody, nobody believed that we could do that. And then when you do it, the exhilaration is so high. It's, it's, you know, that's, that's what I would like to say about, retiring when you retire my highs will never be that high again you know the, that that great win over over somebody that you know whether it's a super bowl win or or in season win over some that everybody thought you weren't good enough to win uh but those those moments are just it's like the great shot in golf that keeps you coming back yeah you know it's those moments just they're so exhilarating but by the same token the lows are pretty low too so um, we just have to deal with them. And part of our job as a coach is to uh, bring us back, bring us back to reality, you know. But uh, uh, winning a Super Bowl and being involved in the national championship game, uh, I, even in high school, I was, uh, my team was uh, voted national champion. And so I've been very lucky my whole life. I've been around either really good people uh, and really good coaches. And so, um, you know, when you talk, like if you about, look at my resume, mm-hmm. Matt, you can make one or two, one or two, uh, opinions. Either he's really, really bad and he can't keep a job <laughs> <laughs> or he's really good and everybody wants to hire. Him. <laughs> so which is it? Which is it? <laughs> well, I think we'll. For the sake of the show, let's go with the last one. <laughs> In 35 years, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 different teams, but a handful of national championships, Super Bowls. Let me ask you this. You said, you know, when things get low, when things get hard coaching, was there ever an op- was there ever a time that you actually wanted to give up? Like you're like, this is I, I made a, a wrong choice. I'm not a coach. Uh, uh, the only move. time, the only time that happened, Matt, was uh, I was at the University of Kansas, and we had had an extraordinary season. Uh, we had uh, finished ninth in the country. We were ten and two. Uh, uh, we had just and and Coach Mason, the head coach, was uh, recruited by the University of Georgia. He went to Georgia, announced that he was going. Um, and uh, I was the heir apparent to be the head coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he had a custody battle with his kids or whatever. So he didn't take the job. He turned around and at, while we were at the Aloha Bowl. He announced he was going to come back and be the head coach the day of the game. So I lost that opportunity. And then a year later, I had the opportunity again. And uh, it just wasn't the right time because we, we didn't have the momentum, number one. And number two, uh, uh, Coach Mason burned a lot of bridges. You know, yep. when he took that job to Georgia, he said, 
I'm finally at a school that's so beautiful and, and <sighs> the hedges and, you know, they, the football is so important and, you know, it's going to be great. Well, when he came back, everybody remembered all those nice things he said about Georgia, you know, so he was not exactly welcomed back, you know? Right. So, so that took you down like a, a different path. Like, so has it always been in your heart to be a head coach? I, yeah, I, I wanted to have a chance to implement my uh, philosophy and uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I believe that good leaders are good listeners. I believe that good leaders are, are, have good vision and, uh, uh, and they create really good cultures. I, I think those three things, they got vision. Uh, they, they're obviously knowledgeable, but they got vision uh, and they can create a good culture and they are, you know, they do it with kind of a, uh, good listening style. In other words, they're hearing their players when they talk or they're hearing their constituents when they talk and they're, and they're trying to do the best thing for them by being a good leader and creating a good culture. And, you know, I, I thought I could really, because I have a good way about myself as, as a person, uh, you know, I, I enjoy people. I enjoyed recruiting. I thought that I could uh, bring compassion and discipline and leadership to to any program. I felt I could do that. So Absolutely. that was one of the things I thought, well, I'll get my chance. When I didn't get my chance, I basically did the worst thing I did in my whole life was I said, that's it. I don't want to coach anymore. I don't want to be worried about being a head coach. So I went into private business. Uh, we started this company called usathlete.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, after four months of data entry, calling high school coaches and doing that kind of stuff. I said, this is not, I, for 21 years, I've been a coach. I've been around the camaraderie of the team and the camaraderie of the staff. I was like, no, I'm going back to coaching. And right. so I, I, I ended up uh, uh, going to Michigan state with Nick Saban. And uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't really pursue any head coaching jobs after that. I, ended up going into the NFL right after that. And That's uh, what I, was say. I mean, cause you could have been a head coach. I mean, you, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I easily, if I want to take a couple of, uh, division one, double a jobs, I might've been able to do that, but I was, I really, uh, it was like wanting to be a, a some, a pro coach. I had a couple of offers to go as a tight end coach or special teams coach. And I, I thought that was beneath me. It wasn't, but I thought it was. I thought I need more control of the offense. I need more control. And, you know, coaching the offensive line, you're coaching five out of the 11 players. So a lot of uh, the weight of that success falls on you. And so when they asked me to be a tight end coach or a special teams coach, I said, no, no, I do not want to do that. And then all of a sudden the Detroit Lions were the first team that came up to me and said, no, we want you to be the line coach. And so I, you know, that's when I jumped into pro football. So that's in 2000. Who's the head coach of the Lions at that time? Bobby Ross. Bobby Ross. So Bobby Ross. let me ask you this. So when you're, when you're recruiting at the college level, what are you looking for? Are you just looking for a great player? Like how important is character is, you know, um, family 
it, like, what are you looking for? Because you could get the best athlete with the most talent in the world, but if the kid's a knucklehead, you just made a bad right. investment, right? Um, let me just say this. Uh, Character is at a premium. I mean, uh, we, can, we can coach all kinds of players, but when you coach guys with great character, you're, you're building uh, the structure of your team becomes very strong. When you coach and you have too many guys of not very good character on your team, uh, it's a roller coaster ride. It is. It's an absolute roller coaster ride. And I've looked at my past and looked at some of the teams I've been on. The teams with the best character uh, were the best performing teams. And which the, and, was and sometimes who? not the most talented. Sometimes which, not the most talented. Which was an example. What, what was your greatest character team? Well, um, you know, I, I was on a couple of teams that were, you know, just had tremendous character. One, the, the Super, the first Super Bowl team, the, those kids cared nothing about the team. There was no individuality. There was no, like, uh, you know, what about me and all that kind of stuff. Marshawn was playing for the team. Uh, Richard Sherman was playing for the team. It was what happened after that Super Bowl that started to break us down. And, uh, uh, after the Super Bowl, uh, what happens is you get so much attention and uh, there's so much uh, uh, fanfare and celebration about winning that uh, guys started to forget what made us really good. Mm-hmm. What made us really, really good was we had we played for each other. We absolutely that, played for each other. And that and, does not change regardless whether it's high school, college, or NFL. When you're playing for someone else on your team, yeah, it's the strongest right. thing you could do, right? Right. It's, 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 it's such a strong bond. And, and remember, that always, Matt, this is something I've always said. You know, I said, you know, never doubt your abilities. Always critique your effort. We should never doubt your abilities. Always critique your effort because your effort is what defines you as a person. Yeah. And to find you, I'm going to say this. I went, I did a clinic not too long ago and the title of my clinic was capturing effort. And uh, I asked the teachers, I said, what's the most important subject? It was full of, uh, you know, high school teachers and co- some college teachers. And I said, what's the most important subject that we teach? You know, what, it, what, if you had one subject to teach, what would it be? And, you know, a bunch of them raised their hands to what, well, obviously English, you, you need English for, writing skills and communication skills. And uh, a couple of people raised their hands and said math because, you know, everything we do is centered around measurements and, you know, statistics and things like that. So, and I said, well, I, I'm going to differ with all of you. I said, the most important subject we can teach is effort. Because if somebody, if we can teach kids to give effort, and this is what coaches do our whole lives. We keep, we, we emphasize effort all the time. And if we can teach it, then this student who might not be good at math will be good enough because what? He gives good effort. He might not be great at English, but he'll be good enough because he gives really good effort. How do you teach effort? I didn't know you can do that. Well, um, you know, there's an old saying, Matt, you get what you emphasize. Okay. Uh, I, I've suggested that you, you list effort in a couple of different categories. One, bad effort. We all know what bad effort is. It doesn't need to be explained. Then there's average effort. Okay. So we list it. We have a 
we have a category. One's bad, no effort at all. Two, average. There's no secret to average. It's just average is average. There's no secret to it, okay? And then the next one would be good. That means it involves a little bit of passion. Mm. You have a little bit of passion about what you're doing. So this effort, I would describe that as good, means you're giving a little bit of passion. Excellent. Excellent effort would be the guy that wants to take 10 more reps after practice. Yeah. Because he or that he wants to do 10 more reps of his math problems or he wants to do 10 more reps. He's going the extra mile to be good at what he wants to be. Okay. He wants to perform well. Okay. And then there's the the magical ridge line. And that would be elite, elite effort. That's your Kobe Bryant. That's your that's your guys that get get to practice. 20 minutes early and they're working on something that they want to get better at. And then after practice, they're working on something they want to get better at. And then when they go home, they're thinking about how do I get better at it? That's that, you know, that's the Russell Wilson or the, uh, you know, the Peyton Manning or those kind of guys who just do all the extra work. They do all the extra work and it's never, ever out of their mind. They're constantly trying to prove to everybody who they are. And, uh, and it takes a lot. It takes tremendous effort to do that. That's why I call it elite. So how do you teach it? I, I've been suggesting, hey, put a board up in your, in your, in your room and, and put effort. And then put, these, put the titles up there and then say, hey, I thought you gave this effort today. Now, you gave good effort today. Can you give me excellent effort tomorrow? Yeah, I'd like to see that. I want to see these guys move up the ladder. So what you're doing is you're trying to encourage and by emphasizing it, you're encouraging them to give more effort. And it's not just effort for a single class. It's learning how to give effort all the time. And, and I think um, when we make, when I, when I can make somebody feel good about what they're doing, see, this is where Pete Carroll kind of has a, you know, he, he has a niche that's unlike a lot of coaches he actually teaches the players to give good effort, but in the same token, he's making everything fun for them. So we all love competition, right? Yep. So that's one way he creates the effort. Okay, let's see who can win this drill. Okay, let's see who can do this. Let's see. He's challenging them to, to rise up their level of play, and then they start doing it together. That's when you have a great team. You know, when you have these just maximum effort by a lot of players is when your team just becomes exceptional. I remember and, uh, when you guys when you guys left SC, obviously on a high note, you guys were the cream of the crop in college football. And you went to Seattle. The big question was, do you think the college mentality and the environment and culture they created in SC can really be done in the NFL? And most people said no. Because right. college players are different. They're playing for college or playing, you know, but NFL players, like, they're just playing for the money. They don't care. <laughs> but hey, you guys did it. Uh, okay. I want to tell you, that yeah. I'm co I'm, I always tell people, they say, what's the difference between coaching college and pros? I said, well, let me give you an example of my very first meeting in pro football. I walked <laughs> up to the front of the room and I said, uh, Ray, Ray Roberts. Mike Compton, 
they were the two veterans on the with the Detroit Lions on the offensive line. I said, you guys come on up front. And their heads went. They, they were shaking their heads. No? They were basically telling me no. And I said, what, what, what's the problem? I said, I'd like you to, you know, you guys are going to lead this group. I'd like you to be up here in the leader, leadership chairs. They said, coach, we've been sitting back here for four years. These are our seats. We're not changing. So I turned my face into my whiteboard and thought about what my dad said about counting 10 before I snap. (laughs) (laughs) I know you got me on the edge of my seat right now. What'd you do? So all of a sudden it occurred to me, you know, yelling is not a good thing. You know, yelling, yelling puts people on the defense. I, I need to be creative here. So I said, I, I got to help Let's me. See if I can get this done. Please help me. Cause I'm a bad yeller. I yell at my <laughs> kid. I yell all the time. It is a downfall, a weakness of me. Help me coach. What did you right. do? Well, here's what I, here's what I did. I turned around and I calmly walked all the way to the back of the room. And I said, this is now the front of the room. So just turn your chairs around. Everybody can keep the same seats. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> that and came they, to you in that moment? They both they both shook their head. The rookies were laughing. Everybody was laughing. Those two guys shook their heads and said, all right, we'll move. <laughs> so they, they That's fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean – how well what my point is if i in college i would have said hey you two guys up here they would have ran up there right they would have run up there you know but it's it's the you know pro football you're dealing with men you're dealing with guys who make two three four five six million a year and and so it's it's you know they're a little bit more harder to deal with sometimes what's is it, I mean, for you, I'm, I'm trying to ask this question the right way because, I mean, you're the best at it. I was going to say, is it hard to coach men in the NFL? I've never, I've coached college at the JUCO level. I've been an assistant at, you know, the, D, the D1 the level. But, you know, grad assistants, you don't have too much clout with the players. They don't really take you that seriously. You know, you listen more than you talk when you're a grad assistant, especially if That's you're a, a good, good thing, though. It's a good yeah. thing. Um. When I go, you know, high school, I was all over it. Like those kids would run through a wall for me. Uh, and the NFL, how how hard is it? How hard is it to motivate professional men? Oh well, we had a kid named Mike Williams when I was at uh, uh, Buffalo. No, oh, Buffalo. He, he was a stud, and he was from Texas, and he was—I mean, he was a big man. He was six, every bit of six six, every bit of three thirty. He. I mean, he was a first-round draft choice. And so the Buffalo Bills organization said, hey, we need you to get this guy to play. He's not playing up to his light. And so when I came in there, that was one of the big things, get get this guy to be a, you know. And so I noticed that he was an up-and-down guy. One day game, he'd be okay, and next game not. And I kept trying to figure out ways to get him motivated. One day I walked in and I said, oh, my God. You guys can't believe it. I said, there's this huge fight in the uh, New England uh, locker room between a couple of their defensive linemen. And they're all like listening intently. Oh, my God, we haven't heard this. Tell us more. And I said, well, they just started duking it out. 
And, uh, you know, we play them next week. And uh, they found out they were, the whole argument was about who gets to line up on Mike Williams. I said it right in front of her. <laughs> no way. <laughs> he played one of his best games. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> that is genius. I, mean, I was like, I mean, I was thinking of every possible way I could motivate this guy. Cause he, he just, he just one of those guys who played good and, all, and, and he relaxed. I think the best players, the very best players, one we always describe as character, but the best players are constantly trying to show you who they are. They're right. trying to show that they want to prove to you that there's something special. And this is, this is, you know, what we were always telling them, Hey, show us who you are. And, you know, a lot of that just involves great effort. I mean, that's all it involves. It doesn't, you don't have to be anything more special than just be you and bring great effort. And that's always going to be good enough. You know, it, you know, we have you ever watched the Olympics mm-hmm. <laughs> and they go, all right, we're uh, coming to the, uh, uh, the finals for the uh, marathon and here they come. And the guy runs across and everybody's cheering. Oh my God, he's, you know, just been running for 26 miles. And, and then and they kind of slow clap and then they all sit down. And then all of a sudden they're all back up on their feet because the last guy is coming through and they're all clapping for him. And I told, I told my dad, I said, what, why are they clapping for him? He's dead last. My dad said he finished, mm-hmm. you know, he was trying to say, hey, he didn't quit. He had a chance to quit. He didn't quit. He finished. He said, there are other guys who probably quit. And I thought about that. Hey, it's just about giving effort. That's all. We respect that so much. You know, who's so. the, who's the best player you've ever coached. If you had to pick one that was on a team, maybe you didn't directly coach him. Maybe he wasn't an offensive lineman. Maybe he was a, whatever, a quarterback, a DB, the one person you say that guy had it, who would it be? Ooh, that's a hard question. Cause there's, there's a lot of, uh, extraordinary kind of extraordinary players. Um, then maybe you can list a handful and then I'll ask you like, what did they have that the other players didn't? Cause the answer is usually not talent. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, uh, unique. Uh, I would say just being unique. Russell Wilson was unique yep. because he, there's not a day that goes by or a minute that goes by that he's not thinking about something he has to do to be get to get better, and so that's a uniqueness. Uh, uh, and he performs well, and when he doesn't perform well, it's because he's trying too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of breaks his disciplines a little bit and, and tries too hard. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. You know, I mean, there's some guys like uh, Max Unger who is a center for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, was such a detailed guy. Uh, Jeff Hardings, who I coached at the Detroit Lions, who went on to be an all-pro center with uh, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. These guys, the guys that I bring up are unique because it was so important to them to be good. It was just so important. And uh, some guys get into an environment and they exist in the environment. Other people go into an environment and they want to be the centerpiece of the environment. And that that's those kind of guys, you know, uh, Russell Wilson, um, Brett Favre was that way. I mean, you know, Brett Favre, (laughs) 
I love the guy because he was a guy's guy, number one. Uh, and, and he got along well with all the guys on the team. And he, and he was, he was, ex, hey, he was extraordinary. He made the team feel like, Hey, don't worry. We can, we'll, we're going to be okay. We can do this. Right. And that's what, that's what the great ones do. They just give you that because they are that way. It gives everybody confidence, you know, that, that you can be something. I, as a matter of fact, I've told people this for a long time, you know, the, the NFL is just a quarterback driven league. And I said, you can, I can tell you, you want, you want to pick out the uh, eight uh, playoff, the guys with the last eight teams in the playoff. I can pick them out right now. Russell Wilson will be one, you know, so everywhere, everywhere that they have a good quarterback, really good quarterback, you know, Drew Brees, you can count on him being there. Of course he's retiring, but you, you start looking at the best quarterbacks in the league. And you just go, they'll all be there. And why is it, why is that? Is it that one guy's talent drives the team? Yeah. That one guy's talent brings everybody else's play up. The, everybody, it's, it's so crazy to hear you say that because we're going to have Bruce Arians uh, on the show as well. And the one thing I ever thought about, it's like, I always thought, and you know, I don't, I want to choose my words carefully because I don't, you know, if I ever do talk to Bill Belichick, I mean, he's he's the goat, right? He's the greatest of all time, arguably, right? But he didn't make it this year, and Tom did. You, you, you'd always you could always count on Tom. That's true, right? Yeah. And I'm saying that to Eli because Eli's like the biggest Patriot fan, so you know what questions coming soon, Coach. Um, yeah. Well, have you ever heard that saying? Hey, we'll rise to the occasion. Hey, yep. we're all gonna rise. We'll rise to the occasion. You know? Yep. That's kind of a false statement. You, you all, here's what you, you only rise to the level of your training. That's the only, you rise to the level of your training. Okay. So we're kind of leveling up here. If you know what I mean? Hell yeah. <laughs> this is why I wanted you on the show. You're a genius. Let me, let me go the opposite direction real quick. And of course you don't have to say any names, but thinking about some of the worst players you ever coached, what made them the worst? Why were they bad players? Why were they bad leaders? Uh, selfishness, selfishness. I, 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 I could say one, I can give you an example. One player would be great one day, mm -hmm. you know, or one year he was great. And the next year he's not. Well, why was that? Well, I can always usually point to selfishness. He all of a sudden thought he was bigger than the team. His, his what he wanted what he wanted to do was all of a sudden the most important thing. It was no longer the team. And this is what I'm talking about. When you go to a Super Bowl and you experience success, the hardest thing is to get that team refocused back into the things that made the team great. And that's being a team, playing for each other, giving great effort. The lack of selfishness, okay, is what can – and. What Bill Belichick has been able to do, the GOAT, is <laughs> right. what, what he's been able to do is to eliminate, uh, you know, personalities and, you know, guys who want to be the stars and all that stuff. He's been able to eliminate that. You know, everybody's got a – he always says, you got a job to do, do it. He puts it on a level of, hey, a factory. You're in a factory. you got to produce. And that's the only way this thing works. And, and he's very successful. Coach, Coach Carroll, on the other hand, is more communicative. Uh, you know, he's a, be a lot better listener than Bill. 
And he's a guy that just uh, tries to make the team so uh, healthy in terms of how they feel that they will go out and give good effort no matter what. And what happened was we went to a we went to the uh, Super Bowl, the second Super Bowl. Goal, we were already having factions on the team that you know were they were they were upset that they weren't getting the recognition some of the other guys got. It, wow. We, we, it became a, a little pettiness got in there. And how do you, you nip had, that in the bud? Like, how do you address that? Uh, well, coach likes, uh, Belichick likes to do it by I'll trade the guy that the first guy that's talking about it. I'll just trade him off to a d- different team. Right. That's how he handles it. Coach believes that it is his job as a coach more important than winning. His job as a coach is to, to have maximum influence on that individual and help him see the ways that he's doing it are wrong. Help, hey, you got to see why you're doing this wrong. And I'm going to show you why it doesn't fit in the team concept. And so he's constantly trying to teach all the time. He's, he's either teaching them about a little bit about politics or he's teaching a little bit about the environment or he's teaching a little bit about, you know, character, but he is constantly teaching and he, he just doesn't want to fail anybody. See some, some guys will just say, okay, this is not, he's hurting us. So we're going to, I don't care about him. I'm going to get rid of him. Coach is not like that. Coach is a, he, that's the last resort for him. The absolute last resort. So there's a, that's the dichotomy between the two. One's a very disciplined, not very communicative guy, but he, he, he has a really good method. He demands good character, demands it, and he demands his team follow his method the whole, whole way. Coach Carroll is going to give you freedom to be uh, an individual as long as it's within the confines of the team, and he wants you to always remember that the, 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 he had three rules, which, you know, you think about it, Always protect the team. What new rule number one? Rule number two: no whining, no complaining, no excuses. And rule number three: be early. And what what those rules were for the team was: oh, have character. We're you know we're we're, we're Seahawks twenty four seven. So have the character to do the right things. Don't ever embarrass your teammate. Okay. Uh, give your give good effort. You know, always protect the team. So that's rule number one. Rule number two was about our language. We don't want to be problem creators. We don't want to be complainers and whiners. So we say uh, no whining, no complaining, no excuses. So that, uh, and it's great, Matt, because what will happen is, as we teach them these rules, some guys will say, well, I don't really want to do this. And other guys will flip, hey, you're a number two violator. <laughs> they, they, so right. they're, they're, they're keeping each other in check. That's awesome. And so what happens is you've created this culture. It's a fun culture because you don't have people whining, complaining, or making excuses. And you have people that are trying to be problem solvers or, uh, you know, they're trying to keep the, um, keep the environment in a very healthy environment. And so, um, you know, I, I just appreciate, I mean, I've worked for all, listen, you know, when you work for uh, Nick Saban, Jackie Sherrill, uh, you know, Pete Carroll, uh, Tom Coughlin, you know, I mean, I, I started thinking about all these guys, Mike Sherman. Uh, it, it's, 
you find out that there's some guys that are really, really good at creating a good culture. And they, and there's guys that aren't, and it's not the culture that necessarily wins. It's how the organization puts itself together. And, and like, for example, when guys from new England would come to the Seahawks, they go, Oh my God, I like it here so much better. Well, they liked it because it's a freer atmosphere. It, mm-hmm. You can be yourself more with Pete Carroll. It's you. When I was at Buffalo Bills, I we, we Laura Malloy got traded mm-hmm. uh, with Drew Bledsoe to the uh, to Buffalo from the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. And I said to uh, I said to uh, Laura, I said, "Why did you get traded? Why do you think you got traded here?" And he goes. He went like this. He put his hand up. I said, what's that? He goes, I was talking too much in the locker room. I was complaining about things. And so he shut me out. And I I said, wow. You know, that kind of like blew me away. But if somebody's doing that in Seattle, coach is going to bring him in his office and talk to him about, all right, what's the issue here? How can we fix this? And you it's crazy because, like, yeah, it's like neither one's, you know, maybe right or wrong because both of them have been proven to be successful. It's just Absolutely. different culture, different Absolutely. philosophy. So let me ask you this to put a bow on this before we let you go. I have to ask this. This is for my boy Eli wanted me to ask this too. So uh, you smashed the Broncos in Super Bowl, Super Bowl 48. You're back in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 49 against the, the Patriots. And you guys have the game. I mean, you really kind of dominated that game. And at the very end, um, you got the best running back in the league, Marshawn Lynch. It's second down. You're on, well, I think like the two-yard line. Everyone knows the ball's going to Marshawn. And that's when you did the infamous pass play where Malcolm Butler picked it, gave him a name. That No one knew who Malcolm Butler was before that interception I in the Super Bowl. I don't know who he is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I got to ask. Why didn't you run the football? It's second down. I need to know. I need to know. I I, I don't know whether Coach Carroll knew this, but because Coach Carroll's, you know, he's a defensive coach by heart. And so he knows, and we, we later found out later, that the statistics of being second down and goal at the the one yard line is – that you really, really hard to score running the ball. I mean, it's hard because you got to think how they think. They're thinking, hey, they're going to run the ball and we got to smash them in the backfield. So they fire their corners and try to lock their outside backers on your on your tight end and and cover the guy. But they, they're, they're, they're trying to create a negative play. Or they'll dive a linebacker over the top and try to hit you. You know, just whatever. But the point is, is, is we felt it would be better to throw the ball because they were anticipating us running it, okay? The problem was, the problem, the whole thing was, is that uh, if we could do it all over again, we probably would have called more of a play-action pass, which would have, you know, right. fullback had been wide open in the flat or the tight end had been wide open in the corner, but we, we didn't do that. We, we had a little kind of a pick play. I don't want to call it pick play, but it's a, it's a rub. You know, we have one guy pushes, yep. pushes another DB back, and the other guy comes up underneath him. And, and we didn't execute it quite right. But here's the thing that was funny. A guy called Daryl Bevel, who was our offensive coordinator, while, while we were on the bus, 
and he was an NFL statistician. And he said, I want you to know, Daryl, don't feel bad about all this. He said, I, I looked at second one, and there were 17 snaps in the NFL that year on the goal line, second one, in that situation, you know, towards the end of whatever. And he said, nine teams ran it, eight teams threw it. Nine teams that ran it, nobody scored. They all got hit in the backfield or hit at the line of scrimmage. They didn't get it in. He said, of the eight teams that threw it, seven teams scored touchdowns, one team threw an interception. Daryl goes, who threw the interception? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, what a great story. Coach Rule, I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming on Level Up. You are my friend. You are my mentor. And you don't know this about him, Eli, but if you ever need a good joke, you call Pat Rule. His jokes are on time, baby. (laughs) Coach, I love you. Thank you so much. Love you, too, And uh, when's the book coming out? It should be out uh, for in December. I'm hoping to get it out by Christmas, and it's called uh, An Attitude of Gratitude, an NFL Coach's Story. That's so fantastic. An attitude of gratitude. Make sure you have it. And I would be eternally grateful to you if you like, subscribed, and shared this podcast with your family, friends, and Seattle Seahawks fans. Right here. Share it. Get this out. We appreciate you so much when you rate us. Obviously, give us a five-star rating. That's how the algorithm works and that we grow. So thank you so much. Like, subscribe, and share. Level up this week with Pat Rule. We love you so much, Coach. Thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for tuning in to another week of Level Up. All right, Level Up, baby. (laughs) 